Welcome to the Jinx Dance Media Podcast. This is your host Jude, and this is where I'll be chatting to you about how to design and create high-quality dance events and creative dance content. I'll be covering topics ranging from fundraising, marketing, production, content creation, design, and so much more so that you can have all the tools and resources you need to stand out and build genuine connections with your audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's podcast episode. Today, I am here with a very special guest that I have been wanting to get onto this podcast for quite some time. This is Eclipse, also known as the Millennium Robot from Cincinnati and the founder of Heroes Rise Street Dance Academy. So thank you for joining me, Eclipse. Hey. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about basically how to make street dance a full-time career and how to advocate for yourself in terms of getting fair pay and just how to diversify your skill sets and all the different avenues that you can take with that. So Eclipse, do you want to go ahead and give a little bit more background on yourself? Yeah, sure. I just, uh, you're a friendly neighborhood street dancer, you know, started out as most people probably <laughs> did at a party at a club. Uh, my cousin called me up years ago and just, we were 18 and he just said we're going to start break dancing <laughs> that's what he said to me <laughs> on the phone and i just kind of shrugged and was like okay sure let's do it <laughs> and from then we started breaking as uh my first style of course everybody says oh we've been dancing since i've been i was two years old blah 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 but <laughs> officially training and learning the dance um i started out with breaking and then eventually transitioned into popping and uh, popping became my primary style for a while. And then eventually I just started finding how I really liked moving, ended up falling into the robotic animation category and uh, kind of stuck with that with my primary, but then picking up house and then studying foundations of hip hop and crump and then peripherally picking up other styles along the way. So eventually I just became super interested in American street style dance, period. Because of that, I ended up getting opportunities to teach at the university level. So I'm now an adjunct uh, instructor at the University of Cincinnati. I am a um, part-time faculty member at the Cincinnati Ballet, which I'm the only person, of course, reaching street dance there at a prestigious ballet company, which is wild. Um, and then, of course, still... Uh, judging battles, hosting jams, still staying connected to the culture, making sure that, you know, I can learn as much about the history and the culture as, as possible. Yeah, well, thank you for joining me yet again. With all that being said, like you have a lot of, um, I would say like diverse skill sets and experience doing a lot of different things within street dance as far as like professionally goes, like you talked about judging, teaching, performing, um, like you name it pretty much, like you've pretty much done it. <laughs> so I really just wanted to like, I guess, dig into your experience a little bit more and like how your journey has been in terms of establishing yourself professionally. Yeah. I mean, when you think about street dance as a profession or a career in the United States for a long time, it, it just wasn't a thing. You could not do street dance by itself. You had to have mm -hmm. supplemental income. Um, you had to have a second job, third job, whatever. 
and you know talking to a lot of the pioneers you know a lot of these folks ended up having to leave the dance because they just it just took up too much time and they couldn't pay their bills so i think what's been dope is how far along we've come with regard to the uh opportunities that exist now it is still work you know to become a career street style mm-hmm. dancer you still gotta find the gigs in a lot i'd say most places in the country unless you're in very specific spots you know one of the coasts um maybe a hot spot down south you know a couple of those but mostly you're gonna have to dig and really find areas where you can make money doing street dance and they're all going to be kind of random you know either you're doing a gig here for a commercial or an arts organization or you're teaching Mm -hmm. you know figuring out random little things like that but it's much more possible today uh, than it used to be it's definitely more exception than the rule (laughs) Mm -hmm. and for the way i ended up in a professional position as far as career where all of my money comes from street dance Mm-hmm. It's really just a lot of right place, right time, but also making sure that when the opportunities came around, I was prepared to accept them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So unless you're in like a hot spot for street dance, it can definitely be a lot harder to make a career, but you obviously have defied that because um, you're probably one of the only, if not like, like the most prominent street dance artist from Cincinnati who's like stayed there. Like I know you're like very much a pillar in that community and there's not a lot of other people out of Cincinnati who are still there who are making this a full-time career. So obviously like I know you got started with street performing. Is that correct? With doing the Millennium Robot and that's kind of I guess like your roots as far as like doing this for money. (laughs) On a consistent basis, mostly. Well, actually I started off in a club. Um, Mm. I got hired at this club and, you know, I wasn't doing the robot back then. I was just doing hip hop and all kinds of other stuff, but that was still kind of like a secondary gig. Once I started doing the street shows though, that's when I really did decide, hey, I can just do this and, yeah, and yeah. make all my money, you know? Um, I have to say big super shout out to Cincinnati in general, Cincinnati, mm-hmm. Northern Kentucky. Like they really took care of me as far as the art form is concerned. Like, you know, you can go one or two routes. You could do it and people are just like, that's weird and be done with it <laughs> or you know people can really embrace it and and that goes back to what I was kind of mentioning is you know being prepared for the opportunities i think that mm-hmm. folks generally people appreciate dopeness just cool stuff right and people who are good mm-hmm. people who take time to become good at the thing that they say that they do so mm-hmm you know, all the years of detail training and standing in the bathroom mirror and dancing in grocery store aisles and all like, all of that stuff culminated into the creation of the character. And Mm. I think people felt the authenticity 
Like if they feel mm. people feel that you're real, they'll they'll support it. So yeah. yeah. Once I started doing the robot, man, it just kind of skyrocketed from there. And it's really cool to see how you've gone from not like not just street performing, but now you are teaching in like these like higher, like I don't want to say higher, I guess that's like a weird hierarchy thing, but like what's <laughs> the, the like these big institutions, right? Like older, let's let's call them older institutions that are uh, have been around for a while, like the, <laughs> like the ballet school and um, the universities mm-hmm. and stuff, right? Like, it's cool to see how you've gone from this very, like, authentic root of, of street performing, right? Like, that's kind of where animation and robotics, like, kind of started out was street performing and busking. And you've kind of taken that and... You're, you've you you had a huge reputation for like your street performing and like I assume that that also led you to a lot of other opportunities which eventually led you to be able to teach in these like bigger institutions and things like that and I'm very curious um I guess like what your experience has been like in those different settings and I guess like how you were able to find yourself in so many different environments with your dance. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right with regard to, you know, the visibility that the street show gave me. I mean, on any given weekend, I would perform for thousands of people because of the place that I performed at. I only did the street show at this place called Newport on the Levee, which was a big entertainment complex right in Northern Kentucky. And it was the only place that I did the street show. And I only did it there, like Friday, Saturday, Sundays. And mm. thousands of people would come through there and all kinds of folks would be through there, right? So they would, I would finish the night with business cards in my bucket, you know? And um, I can't say that I got a lot of teaching gigs from that experience, a lot more performance mm-hmm. gigs, but... The teaching gigs came along when I was able to connect with other folks, other organizations, or if somebody from a studio would see me and they'd be like, hey, you know, do you do X, Y, Z? It's kind of weird because my performance and my teaching careers kind of happened parallel of each other. Like it was like Mm -hmm. two separate paths. The person who actually got me connected, got me into teaching, I had zero interest in teaching when I first started getting down. Even up until I was doing like the the robot, the performances, like I was, mm-hmm. I was not thinking about trying to teach nobody nothing. I was like, I still got to learn this stuff, right? But mm-hmm. it was actually Kelsa who is up there with you guys. She actually was the first person to give me my first teaching opportunity, and mm-hmm. she used to live down here in Dayton, and she was teaching at a studio called Dayton Dance Conservatory at the time. And uh, we would see each other, of course, at battles and jams and whatnot. And we were all tight. And one day she was like, you have to start teaching. And I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> I won a couple battles, you know, and, and, and starting to make a little name for myself. And she was just like, yeah, you need to start teaching. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she kept talking to me about it, kept talking to me about it. And I was like all right, maybe. And she said, well, just come up and check out a class, you know, you can sit in and, and, you know, kind of pick it up. And, you know, I I went in and sat in on the class and, 
and saw how she ran it and whatnot. And afterwards, she was like, "See, you can do this." And then she ended up in a situation where she was injured, where she got injured, mm. and she said, "Well, now I need a replacement for the class, so <laughs> I got to have surgery." And this is how long you got. So you're going to come up and you're going to shadow me. <laughs> and then you're going to take over this class. And I was like, nice. <laughs> what? <sighs> All right. So then I did that. And, you know, that was really my first time teaching. And what I understood, this is later on, somebody told me, they said that as a person in the culture, when you get to learn, I was definitely fortunate enough to meet a lot of pioneers and direct students of pioneers in multiple dances. And um, for mm -hmm. me, I just thought it was just information that I was able to learn, that I was able to pick up and just keep, you know, and try to make myself better. Mm -hmm. But someone told yeah. me, they said, when you have that opportunity and you get to be in front of these people, like think about a lot, most folks, I later on found out that they don't, they don't meet these people. So they said, you mm -hmm. have a responsibility now to share what you have learned for others who will probably never get a chance to meet these folks. Mm. And then once it was put to me that way, I started to embrace the role of teaching a little more, you know, not to think mm. that I'm a master at anything, um, but more just had access to some information that others don't. Yeah. So it was that opportunity was important for me. Once you get a reputation for teaching a good class also, that is when the word starts mm -hmm. to spread. So then mm -hmm. from teaching at this studio and then from doing random pop-up workshops, you know, and people start to hear, oh, that's a good class. You should take that class. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then organizations started to hire me to come in and do workshops and um, other events and and. From there, the word kind of spread about my teaching mm -hmm. where I ended up in an organization here where <laughs> the wife <laughs> of the dean of community engagement at the University of Cincinnati started taking my class. Um, oh. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. where the whole university thing started rolling. The Cincinnati Ballet, the woman who was in charge of education at that time, saw me somewhere and we had a conversation and she was like you need to come and, and teach at at cincinnati ballet like i say oh mm -hmm. okay so all this time i'm still doing the robot of course and i'm getting performance gigs there but it was really just word of mouth from that teaching opportunity that i had that spread i want to like take a step back for a second and then come back to the teaching thing because i had a, a thought or a question, I guess, um, regarding like your, your street performance. I assume you had to have some sort of permit to perform in the area that you're performing in? Some places do, but in Cincinnati, no. You're allowed to perform okay. anywhere between the hours. Certain You have certain hours, of course, and there are certain stipulations. Mm -hmm. You can't like, you can't block the sidewalk and, you know, between mm -hmm. nine and nine and, you know, stuff like that. But um you didn't have to have an official permit. Like I know you do have to have that in Chicago though. Yeah, that's really interesting. Cause I was gonna say, I know um, a B-boy in New Orleans who street performs mm -hmm. and they perform with a particular group because the person in charge of that group is the only one that has a permit for breaking in New Orleans. And here in Chicago, you're actually not allowed to get a permit for dancing because they, they claim that the reason is because like it riles up like homeless people 
And <laughs> I'm just kind of like, wow. that does not seem like a good reason to not let people dance. But like you can do music, you can get music permits to perform. You cannot get dance permits here in Chicago. Wow. So like, yeah, I was just like, it just made me think of that because I was curious, like if I guess people wanted to perform, obviously there's going to be certain stipulations that they have to like look into in their particular city or location. But I know when I lived in um, South Korea for a while, people could perform freely and they made a lot of money doing that too. And so like, I think honestly, if you can street perform, it's a great way to start making money and like get your name out there and to like start getting more visibility like you talked about. And I think that's not a lot of, that's not something that a lot of dancers think about these days. Um, So I don't know. I just think that's really cool and unique as well. Yeah, because I think also it's important to like those are all peripheral things to understand so that you can be successful at the thing you want to do. Right. You don't want to try to go somewhere randomly and set up and they have a rule that says you can't dance here. So you set up, you've taken all this time to get your gear out and then all of a sudden you get shut down. So you just Mm -hmm. lost hours out of the day. Plus you didn't make any money. Plus now you can't come back to this spot. Mm -hmm. Like preparation is always key. And then when it comes to making the money part, that is, you know, anybody can get up and go out to the street and try to do something and get, try Mm -hmm. to make money. But the fact of the matter is you make money at doing something well, whatever that is, you know, some people might not think that what you're doing is dope, but other people do like, and it's in every other facet of life. Right. Mm -hmm. But if what you're doing is something that you're doing well, then people will accept it and people will pay you. But, you know, you have to figure out what you're going to do and present it in a way that folks can accept. Like you can't just walk Mm -hmm. out onto a street and start dancing on the sidewalk. People might applaud, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like you just said, you just walk out to the street and start dancing. People will, oh, that's so wonderful. They're not going to give you no money though. Right. Yeah. (laughs) They want to feel like it's a show, you know, Mm. they want to feel like it's a show. So make sure that any of you street dancers out there, I always say you should street perform. Street dancers Mm. should street perform. It's it's just part of the culture. It's in the name. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, you know, there's some now. A lot of discussion around that terminology, even moving away oh from the, the term street dance and, you know, using something much more uh, specific, but we can get into that later. Yeah. But yeah I mean, <laughs> be ready. I'm very curious to your brain on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's always an evolution, man. And people are always trying to figure out better ways to describe what it is that we do in order to make sure that histories are set correctly and that people are represented properly across the board. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that could be a whole side tangent. So maybe we get into yeah, that Yeah, right. That's why I'm but... just like, let's just pause. Maybe. <laughs> but you said you wanted to go back to the teaching scenario. Yeah. So on, on the flip side of that too, right? Like I'm curious being in these like institutional settings and these studios and teaching, like how was that different? Cause I assume when, when you're street performing, especially since you didn't need a permit or things like that, like you had a lot more autonomy, 
over what you were doing. But being in like a studio setting or an institutional setting, I'm very curious to see like how that experience was different for you. (sighs) If there were any certain criteria or stipulations you had to deal with. Anytime you end up in a scenario where you're working under rules, there's always going to be some things to consider, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. When you get into institutional scenarios, it's kind of... uh, kind of tricky landscape to navigate, you know, because the the good thing about what it is that we do as far as street dance at an institutional level is most people at the institutional level don't have any experience with this culture. Um, they spent mm-hmm. their time in academia, going up the academic ladder, getting degrees in things that existed, subjects that have existed forever. Um, So when it comes to street dance culture, because we didn't have such opportunities and they weren't looked at as lucrative opportunities or career opportunities, nobody created a program for them to to study academically. So nobody knows really about it. So that's a good thing because you can come in and say, hey, this is how we do it. And nobody's going to be like, "Uh, no, it's not. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you have you have that sort of freedom. For example, I teach two uh, different types of classes at UC. One is a general education course, which is an elective. Mm-hmm. That course is for anybody that's at the university. You can just sign up for it and take the class. I have complete control over how that class runs. So what the content is, um, how to run the testing, when the test, you know, how to run points, mm-hmm. all of that, the grading system, everything is up to me and how I choose to, to do that. Of course, within the guidelines of relations with the students and blah, 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 with um, university guidelines and policies. But for the most part, pretty free reign. But I also teach a class in the dance department. And that's a whole nother can of worms. If you look at the syllabus for my general studies course versus the dance department course, it's like night and day. The syllabus for my gen ed one is all graffiti type. It's one page. I don't have like a whole bunch of stuff on it. My syllabus is just dates, information. What are we going to cover in the class? Grading criteria and what your assignment is. Straightforward, super Mm. simple. For the dance department one, it's like a ton of stuff. You got to break down, you know, what the class is, what the projected outcomes are, you know, all kinds of extra information, policy information. You know, you have to have very specific uh, grading rubrics. You have to have like all kinds of extra stuff that in the street dance world, it's not really an important thing for us. And that kind of holds back what you can do in the class. So Mm -hmm. for example, if you have students coming in to take the class and they don't have proper attire that's been laid out in the syllabus, like they have to lose points for that. And then on top of that, if there are things that you want to do, say, for example, you have an idea that you want to include or create a new class because you can't cover all of this information in the class that you're currently doing, To get another class Mm. added is a ridiculous amount of work. Number one, it takes time. Mm. And I don't mean like sending a couple emails, like it's a year or two before a new class could even be considered to get put on the books for anything. As Mm. times change, people have to catch up. 
street dance is no longer just this random underground thing that poor kids do at parties. It is now becoming a serious basis for which a lot of dances are created at the industry level. We all know how much street dance has been appropriated in the commercial dance world. So if you have a program mm-hmm. where dancers are going into the commercial dance world and you know, realistically, most of them are not going to be classical concert ballet dancers. It's just statistically not going to be a thing, right? So they have to be able to have options to go into mm-hmm. other spaces yep. in the commercial dance world, right? And you know this, you know, with having actually studied a dance program, you know what your outlooks are and 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 who's able to get jobs. The people who are going to get jobs are the ones who are the most versatile. So if mm-hmm. you have a program, like the UC program is a ballet program, and it's like you've already set most of your students up for failure if they're not getting extra classes in order to find legitimate career paths in the commercial dance world. So those sorts of things, if you're looking at a dance program that is only ballet and is not adequately providing most of your students with other opportunities in case ballet doesn't work out for them, you have to be able to pivot. You have to say, okay, well, we need to offer this, 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 and this to them as well so that if Mm -hmm. they don't end up doing ballet, they can still get a job doing all of this other stuff too. Well, it can't take two, three, four years to create these classes and other pathways for them because by that time, that's, that's an entire class. You know, you have people graduating every year, going out into the workforce unprepared. So that's one frustration about working in an institution. Things just move so slow. Yeah. And like you said, as a dance major who was on the student side of things and like learning this stuff, I definitely felt that the institution was so outdated and so far behind, like the whole curriculum was compared to what you're actually facing in the real world once you graduate and trying to make this a professional career. And college is supposed to prepare you to go into the industry and to make a career. But if your entire education is so far behind the industry, then how are you supposed to be prepared for that? And so, yeah, that was definitely something I noticed. And I definitely agree with you. Like the ballet world is so oversaturated and so competitive now. Most dancers are not going to make a career doing ballet. If anything, there are way more opportunities available to dancers who are well-versed in street dance styles than there are to people who are doing modern contemporary styles or ballet styles. And so like it is a huge gap in education for them to not prioritize that. So yeah, I definitely agree. My my other thing too, like being in that setting is the way that the university teach it. Like if they do implement street dance, the way that they teach it is so limiting in terms of like they don't accept how it's taught in the real world and how it's practiced in the real world. It's like they want it to conform to the way that they have always done things, which is very Eurocentric from like this ballet modern perspective. So I just wanted to mm-hmm. add that the the class that I'm teaching for the dance department at UC is not actually a street dance class even. It's a jazz class that's a special topics course. And the chair of the dance department was able to, uh, and rightfully so, draw a connection between 
jazz and street dance, modern street dance. You know, that's how I was able, she was able to get me in, in that way, but there's no class yet. Just, that's just a street dance course that needs to be a thing that gets created. There should be a jazz class that's just strictly focused on vernacular jazz. Like they don't want to call it a street dance class because the program is a ballet program. I don't actually, I don't understand why there's so much hesitation to adding American street dance to dance programs, aside from the obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's interesting because um, here in Chicago at Columbia, their dance curriculum is very much, uh, I guess, centered around the whole, like, they very much advertise that they, like, are focused on, like, diversity. And I, sometimes it makes me uh, hesitate a little bit because... It does feel a little bit disingenuous, at least from my perspective, in the sense that like the program is still seven modern classes, uh, four ballet, four West African, and then one quote unquote hip hop course is required for a dance major. And you can't concentrate in any of these things. So like you're still required primarily to be training in like these very modern ballet Eurocentric styles. And even with the inclusion of West African being like equal to ballet, like West African is just one African dance style, like as well. So it's a little, it's a little weird because they teach several different styles of ballet and they teach several different styles of modern. They only teach one style of African dance and then they teach one class of, (laughs) of quote unquote hip hop. And I don't like that they use the word hip hop for these courses either, because it's not just hip hop. They're teaching popping, they're teaching locking, they're teaching house. And so it's like, those are funk styles and house is like, you know, a completely different style. So it's just a little weird. They can't just like call it what it is. And then that they really promote that part of their program as um, a feature to attract students, but then it's not even prioritized within the curriculum or the program. So it's just very weird. Um, And I will say too, like another problem that I ran into, like where I was asking this question a lot towards the end of my major was, should street dance even be in these institutions? And the reason I asked myself that, and like, that's like, I don't have an answer per se, but the reason I asked myself that was because at least to what I had seen um, in terms of how it had been implemented, it detracted a lot more than it added in the sense that like, they expect street dance to conform to these settings instead of just embracing the culture and the style of teaching and the style of learning that already exists within street dance. I I don't know, street dance fundamentally is anti-institutional to an extent. So trying to institutionalize it feels a bit like the antithesis to what it is. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's definitely interesting because I do think we can benefit from implementing it in these, these settings, but the way that people have attempted to do it up to this point, I have not seen it done so successfully in a way that is respectful to the culture. So that's just like my my yeah. two cents there, but <laughs> no, no, you're right, and I think that the biggest issue is that the people who are giving the thumbs up and the okay for these things to even come into the institution are not from the culture and haven't done the work to go and figure out what is actually going on in the cultures. They just in an effort to, as you were talking about, check that DEI box and say, oh, we are supporting Mm -hmm. this thing and never create an atmosphere where 
you know, these cultures can grow in an institution, but rather shoehorning them into an existing structure. And uh, you're right, it, it doesn't work generally, but I think they, they have had some success in um, schools like USC, where you're able to actually major in street dance. Like you can have a focus mm -hmm. on street dance and you have pioneers and folks who are connected to the culture who are running those departments or having really heavy influence in, in those spaces. So it can be done, but it does take work. <laughs> and if you know anything about the education mm -hmm. system in general, yeah. educators are already overworked and the administrators also are, you know, they have a lot on their plates and mm -hmm. they have a lot of demands from the existing structures and those gatekeepers. And it, and it just goes up. It's an, it's like a, mm -hmm. an avalanche effect, you know, but I do believe that there is a changing of the guard, so to speak. Like slowly but surely, there are people who are ending up in these leadership positions that do have a different cultural perspective and that they do understand it is important to not only teach the existence of these dances and these cultures, but to help facilitate actual representation, legitimate representation in the institution and not just, you know, teaching a class about Mm -hmm. Oh, hip hop happened here. And then that be it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Fun <laughs> stuff. Um, so I know we've talked a lot about like the university specifically. I'm also curious about your experience, maybe working in like, I don't know if you've taught or performed for like corporate entities or maybe even like other arts nonprofit institutions or anything like that. And like maybe how your experience has been different in those settings as well. Yeah. I mean, corporate work is in this particular line for me and my experience has been pretty straightforward. You know, they generally want to bring you in as a supplement to team building events, you know, where they'll come in and they'll say, oh, we're going to do these cool things for our team members. And this would be a cool way to get people together and moving and maybe learn something that they probably would not ever <laughs> engage with at any other point in their life or people who used to but haven't done it in a while. So that's pretty straightforward. It's it's always part of a team building exercise. You come in, you teach some movement, you try to get some history in there and some culture and explain how whatever their themes are that they're working on are connected in our culture as well and how it's important for us too. And that they can learn something from that. But it's not a place where you're going to go to try to create something amazing. You're going to hopefully expose folks to your culture. And maybe they'll ask questions about it later. Maybe it'll just be a good experience for them at that one time. And they'll talk about it at dinner or, you know, at their next family event or whatever. But that's about the extent of that. It's mostly teaching, but I did do one where I performed as well. And it was two days. I did a performance the first day. And <laughs> it was kind of annoying, actually, because they wanted me to do the robot, my robot set. So when I do the robot set, it's a showcase. So you got to sit there and, and watch for a little bit. You know, it's not like they hired me to do like a walk by type of an event. So I brought all my stuff, you know, I set everything up and I'm there. And first of all, it's like, you got to make sure people research you before they hire you. And even then sometimes mm -hmm. that still doesn't work. Like you can send them information, like videos and like, this is what I do. And they still didn't really kind of get it, but mm -hmm. I get there 
my music is loud, right? And it's in a big hall. And uh, they put me right next to the registration table. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. And um, <laughs> of course they're like, oh, can you turn the music down a little bit? I'm just like, no, no, can't turn the music down. But I said, fine. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, and what the worst thing was is I'm there to perform, and the worst thing for a performer is to not have an audience, right? Like not to have people engaging with you during your set. Yeah. And most of these folks, you know, are just kind of walking by, like they look and they're like, oh, and they just walk to their table or they continue having a conversation with whoever. And it's like, dude, the people, I guess they just hadn't no, they had no experience with street performers or performers in general. Like tell people, hey, come check out this thing that we paid all this money for, <laughs> for your appointment. Right. Set aside 30 minutes where that's all people do is just watch this showcase and then they can move on and do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, stopped and, and watched and whatever, but... Yeah, that was the only annoying part for that. But corporate events, if you can mm-hmm. get one, they generally, in my experience, pay very well. Those are just the sorts of things you have to deal with because you have to be very specific with them. Tell them what you need. Like if you mm-hmm. need a changing area, tell them specifically what you need in that changing area. Tell them specifically what you need for the room that you're teaching in. Find out exactly what they're going to be offering. Find out exactly how many people they plan on having there. Find like Get as many details from them as possible because they are detail-oriented. But if you leave it mm-hmm. up to them to kind of figure it out, then you're going to get there and you're going to be like, well, what the hell is this? You know? So don't do that. Yeah. Arts organizations are kind of a different beast. Doing work for arts organizations nine times out of 10, they're going to be nonprofits and they're going to be used to dealing with artists, but not artists like you. And dancers are generally always bottom man on the totem pole. Like most people don't really know how to deal with dancers Mm. and then particularly street dancers. Like they see videos of us and we're all on sidewalks and in grass. And you know what I mean? They're just like, oh, we just tell them to show up and it'll be fine. That's not how this works, you know? You ask for a certain thing, it's not all the same. Like, don't mm-hmm. ask a breaker to show up to your event that's a street fair and you have them dancing on asphalt in the middle of July, you know? No, you you need a you need a dance floor. You need a, something that they can dance on. You need, need to have it covered. You're going to give them breaks, you know, those sorts of things. But then also, when it comes to your payment, Just always make sure that you're clear with people about what you want to get paid. Ask them what Mm -hmm. they're offering, and then you can decide whether you want to do the thing. Just because it's an arts organization doesn't always mean that they're looking out for you, especially as a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always a consideration for a budget. And, you know, not to sound harsh or rude or anything, but they're going to pay their salaries first. If you require. Mm $150 an hour to do whatever you're going to do. You need to tell them that this is what my rate is. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about everything that you have to do to to do this gig and you don't really care about what they got going on as far as like trying to stay connected with them, trying to build something with them, et cetera, et cetera. Don't be afraid to just say no. Mm -hmm. It's fine. 
just because it's an arts group and that they're doing art stuff doesn't mean that they always have your best interest in mind. And you shouldn't feel obligated to go and do something you're not going to have, you're not going to feel good about doing. Like Mm -hmm. you go out there, you're dancing for five hours in the hot heat and you're not making what it was that you think you should make and you don't care about what's going on with this organization. Like you're not going to feel good about that gig. So don't do it. It's definitely different. Corporate people, events, very straightforward, but tell them exactly what you need. They'll pay you. Arts organizations, you got to be more specific and you got to tell them what you're not going to do. And you got to make sure that you know what they got going on. <laughs> you know, Don't, don't <laughs> wait the day up to show up somewhere and be like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. You better ask them questions. Where is it going to be? What am I doing? Where am I dancing? How long? Like, get those details answered. I think a lot of them mean well, but I think over time, Mm -hmm. the representation of our dances have become very performative. And for street dance specifically, Mm -hmm. they're box checkers. Um, So there's that problem too. And that concludes this week's podcast episode. Stay tuned for part two, which will be coming out very, very soon. And if you have not done so already, please rate my podcast five stars because it really helps me out. I hope you all enjoyed this episode and I will talk to you next week. Bye.